The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Well, good morning, Heritage Christian Fellowship. Really glad that you're worshiping with us. I want to go ahead and welcome the folks that are here in the sanctuary. We got folks out in our overflow, and I know there's always men and women that are tuning in online. We are really glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Don't have a whole lot to share with you. Last week was, was Easter Sunday. It was a glorious Sunday. We had baptisms. We had a sunrise service. We had uh, a packed house in here as we celebrated and worshiped God in light of the resurrection of his son Jesus. And uh, the meal afterward was great. It was a wonderful week. Today we're, we're going to continue our series. We've called this series Life in His Name. Today we have one more sermon in that series in the Gospel of John. And then next week, when we come back, uh, we're going to be back in Genesis, and we're going to be finishing up Genesis as we move into the spring. And then we got some new fun, exciting things planned for us through the summer, and then starting in the fall, uh, we'll be sharing that with you as soon as we have those things set in stone. There's one thing I want to make you aware of today. If you lo- open up the little bulletin that we give you on the way in, there's whole, there's lots of stuff. There's a women's retreat. There's 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 veterans ministry. There's so many things going on. Please take a moment or two to thumb through that, see what's going on. If you didn't get one of the the bulletins, they're they're in the lobby on the the connections desk. Grab that so you're informed about what is happening here at Heritage. The thing I want to make you aware of today is right after this service, about 15 minutes after this service is complete, just across the way at our offices, we call that the hub. You'll see our signs on the building. We have pastors meet and greet. We do this every month. It's simply a way for us to interact with you if you are newer to Heritage. If you have not had a chance to meet the staff, to hear the vision, uh, uh, sort of like the core values, who we are as a church, we want to invite you to come to that. If you're curious about what it might look like for you to, to, to be more of a part of, of Heritage, or you just want to find out who we are, we really invite you to come be a part of Pastors Meet and Greet. It's a 15-minute commitment right around 1045 or so. We'll start in the hub. would love to have you come and join us. Uh, we're looking forward to sharing with you what God has put on our hearts this morning. We have a, a, a Pastor Don Baldrick is going to be sharing with us this morning uh, the message. But before Don comes out, would you take a moment or two to please stand up, welcome one another, and just kind of have a little conversation with people around you. Well, good morning again.
love seeing everybody interact with one another. It's encouraging. It's great. You know, we, we, uh, we, on Palm Sunday, we started a series, like I said a moment ago, called a Life in His Name, looking at the Gospel of John. We looked at Palm Sunday. We looked at Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. And usually those Easter services, those Easter sermon series end. But as I was looking at the Gospel of John, John offers us a 21st chapter, like an epilogue. Like after the resurrection of Christ, after he states the purpose for writing the book, we have this whole other chapter that feels a little bit, it's unique, it's, it's, it's different than the other Gospels. And as I looked at chapter 21, I thought, man, there's so much in that one chapter, like life after the resurrection, after the, the apostles of Jesus encountered the risen Christ, what happened? You know, we read the book of Acts and the spread of the church, but, but John gives us this epilogue or this picture in chapter 21. So I'd encourage you, if you brought a Bible today, open up to John chapter 21. I want you to read with me verses 15 through 19. You know the scene that the apostles have been out fishing and and then they, they're, they're fishing in the Sea of Galilee. They see someone on the shoreline. They realize it's Jesus. Peter jumps in, swims to the shore. And they're interacting with the, res, with the resurrected, risen Christ. And Jesus makes a meal for him. And this is where we pick up in John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you, are, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying that, he said to Peter, follow me. I've read that text a thousand times in my life, and I've always wondered what exactly is going on there. And you know, sometimes when you read the scriptures, you just wonder, man, if I could just hear from Peter... I would just love to know what it was like for Peter to jump out of the boat, to swim to the shore, to eat a meal with a resurrected Christ. What was it like for Peter to walk with Jesus before the resurrection, to live through the resurrection in his life afterwards? What was it like? Well, today we have a guest. We have a privilege. We have a guest from the past. I want to welcome to the stage Simon Peter. Shalom. Or as you would say, uh, good morning. I am so excited to be here with you this morning and to share some of my story with you of what took place shortly after the resurrection. I, I thank your pastor for asking me to come and to, to share with you this morning. I am I'm Peter, as he identified. And, uh, but before I start to tell that, of, that specific account on the shores of Galilee, I, I feel I need to tell you a little bit more about my past experiences with the Lord so you have a better understanding of what took place that morning. You see, that morning I was a, a broken man. And what happened that morning had a huge, was a huge turning point in my life. But let me tell you more about that a little bit later. Now, as you can see, I am wearing clothing that is comfortable for me. This is what we wore at the days, at the times of Jesus. It's something that I'm used to wearing. 
I see that you are wearing different clothing than me. Um, yours seems rather restrictive, uh, but I'm sure it's comfortable and it has a good purpose. Uh, shall we agree that we shall not let our um, what clothes we're wearing be a distraction to us uh, this morning? Um, now, to be honest with you, I have mixed feelings about all that they wrote about me in the New Testament, in the Gospels. I mean, they, they wrote quite a bit about me things that I said and did, and some of them I'm not too proud or happy about. And, and couldn't they have just left out some of those stories? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, hold on, Peter. You know these men were led by God, by the Spirit of God. It's really God who gave them those words, not themselves. Yes, I, I know that, but it, it sounds weird for me to, to blame God. So I'd rather just uh, pick on my brothers. Uh, therefore, right at the start, I would like to clarify something for you. Uh, before I became a follower of Christ, I was a fisherman, as many of you probably know. Have you noticed in the Scriptures, every fishing account of mine, I catch nothing until the Lord intercedes? Not one time. You think the Gospel writers would at least put one account in where I had a good fishing day? I mean... I was a fisherman. I was a good fisherman. I caught plenty of fish in my day. It is how I made a living. But could they put one account in? No. Oh, okay, I should settle down here a little bit. But, you know, it's been 2,000 years. This is the first chance I've had to say anything about it. And, of course, I'm not going to miss out on the opportunity to say something about it. So I, I feel a little bit better. Those of you that are fishermen, imagine this. The only stories they tell about you is when you catch nothing. Can you understand how I could be a, a little bit frustrated with that? Okay, so let's move on to more important matters. I clearly remember that first day when Andrew came into the house, my brother, and he said, we have found the Messiah. Come and see him. Well, I'm not going to miss out on an opportunity like that. The Messiah? We Jews have been waiting centuries, centuries for the coming of the Messiah. Could it be that at this time in my lifetime, he has come? As we're on our way, my mind is thinking about, what does this mean that the Messiah is actually here? What difference will it make for us Jews? What difference will it make being under Roman rule now that the Messiah is here? Things will be different. The whole world will be different. Upon meeting him, he looked me in the eye and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. Uh, the word means rock. He didn't change Andrew's name. He didn't change the other disciples' name. Why is he changing my name? I, I didn't understand why I got the name change. It was a little while later where that became obvious. We were in the district of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus turned to us and he said, Who do the people say I am? Some of my brothers responded. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
But then Jesus said, who do you say I am? Well, I was the first to speak up on that one, quite naturally. And I said, you are Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus was telling me that the reason he changed my name to Rock is because I was to be one of the key leaders in the early church. Now, I'll be honest with you, there were times where I felt like the leader and I wanted to be the leader. But then there were those other times when I said and did things that I was not pleased about. You see, I was a, before the resurrection, I was a follower of Christ. But what was more true of me at that time is that I was more of a user than anything. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by being a user? A user is one who takes advantage of other people for their own purposes. A user is one where it's more about themselves than anyone else. A user takes matters into his own hands, ignoring what other, ignoring what other people say and doing the way he wants it done. Now, I wasn't a user all the time, but it would come up again and again in my time with Christ. See, I believe this is what contributed more to my fall than anything else. I was a user. One of the first times being a user raised its ugly head. Well, it was after I had a bad fishing night which I, I didn't happen that often with me, okay? Not that often. It, it was the morning, and we were cleaning our nets, and I see Jesus coming. crowd is following him. He, he walks up to me. He asks if he can step into my boat, which was fine. And he, he stepped into my boat, and he asked me to put it out just a little bit so he could address the crowds. More than happy to do that. And then he began to teach. Brothers and sisters, I wish you could have at least heard him teach once. Oh, the authority, the passion, the zeal, the wisdom of our Lord. It was always incredible listening to him teach. After he finished teaching, he then turned to me. And he said this, he said... Uh, put out into deeper water and let down your nets, net for a catch. <laughs> I gave him one of those looks like, are you kidding me? I mean, I wanted to let him know that I didn't think that was a good idea, that that wasn't that wise at the moment. And, and so I didn't say, are you kidding me, to Jesus. I was more respectful than that. <laughs> but I, I said this. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, we'll go let down the nets. Yeah, nice way of saying, I think you're nuts to do this, Jesus. But we'll do it. So we go out a little. We let down our nets. You know what happens. 
A few minutes later, the nets are teeming with fish. I have to call another boat. Come on over here. We've got so many fish. It's too much for our one boat. We filled two boats completely. Uh, the boats are almost beginning to sink. And then I have one of those moments with my Lord that I had at various times in the years I was with him where you just get a greater glimpse of how great he is, how he is Lord, how he is sovereign. And when you get a greater glimpse of the Savior and you see how you fall so short, there's only one response. I fall to my knees and I tell him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He looks at me with grace in his eyes. And he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When we got to shore, we left our nets and we followed him. I wish I could stand here today and tell you that was the last time I struggled being a user, but it was just the start. I would struggle with it again and again. Let me jump ahead a, a year or two. Though we did not know it at the time, it was getting closer when Jesus would give his life for all of humanity. He tried to explain it to us at various times, and on this occasion, he said to us that he, that he said that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and he would be killed and on the third day raised. All the while I'm saying to myself, not on my watch. I am not going to let them put one single hand on you. I will protect you, Lord. This is not going to happen. You see, I took it personally, which is another trait of a user. So I tell him in my most persuasive, my most passionate way, with as much authority as I could muster up, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now some say when they've read that passage, good for you, Peter. At least one of the disciples stood up. One of the disciples was willing to protect Jesus and not let him simply be taken away and to suffer. You may have been ignorant, Peter, but at least you had good intentions. Let me be clear to you at this point. Nothing could be further from the truth. This was all about me. I totally ignored the words of my Lord. Didn't matter to me what he just said because I was a user and I do what I think is right when I think one is wrong. And I thought he was in the wrong. See, a user picks and chooses what he will listen to and obey. A user picks and chooses from the Bible. The things that they like, oh yeah, those are great. The things they don't like, they ignore. And that's what I was doing. I was ignoring the very words of my Lord. I said, it's not going to happen. As a user, I call the shots when I don't agree with something, even if it is the Lord. 
I didn't care what Jesus thought. I was going to do it my way. The rock has spoken. I'll show him what it means to be the rock. Well, let me be clear here. This didn't go over too well uh, with my Lord. He saw exactly what was happening. He knew my intentions, what was in my heart. And with an authority that I have never had, he said to me, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Users have the things of man in mind. And that's what I did. I wanted it my way and not Jesus' way. Jesus made it very clear that such thinking is of the devil. It is pure evil. What I said to him was pure evil. Think about it. If I had gotten my way, if I was, were to somehow overrule Jesus and protect him and keep him from dying, keeping him from going to the cross, what would that have meant? That would have meant that all of us, all of humanity would have been condemned to hell for eternity because there would have been no Savior. Oh, I wish I could tell you that my user ways stopped there. But they didn't. Let's jump ahead now to the last week of Jesus' life here on this earth before he was crucified. I had been with him three years. I had seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of miracles. I had listened to countless teachings of my Lord. I was the one who stepped out into the water in that storm and walked on water until I came to my senses and I took my eyes off Jesus and I began to sink, but I don't want to talk about that story anymore. Even after all this, I was still struggling to let my Jesus be Lord of my life, of surrendering my will to his will. It was the feast of Passover, the final week before Jesus was to be led away and crucified. We were all clueless to what was going on or what was going to happen. We were sitting around uh, the table. We had just finished our meal. When Jesus, all of a sudden, he, he got up from the table. He took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist. Believe me, all our eyes are on him. We're thinking, what in the world is he doing? He doesn't, tell, doesn't say anything. He goes and he gets a basin and he fills it with water. And then he goes over to one of my brothers. He gets down on his knees. And then he does the unthinkable. He begins to wash his feet. No, no, no. This is all wrong. The, he is the master. The servants wash feet, not the master. No, this is all wrong. And when he finishes his feet, he moves on to the next brother. My mind is swirling, saying, what is going on here? Why isn't anyone saying anything? He starts making his way around the table. He's going to come to me. I'm not going to let him do this. 
What am I going to say to my Lord when he comes to me? The moment comes. And so I say to him, acting like it's an innocent question, which it is not, Lord, do you wash my feet? As if to say, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't want you to wash my feet. Jesus said, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. The user in me takes over. No, no, this is not going to happen. And I let him know, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, my brothers, I'm thinking to myself, my brothers gave in and they let you humiliate yourself in front of us, but I won't do that, Lord. No. The rock has spoken. Then Jesus responds and he lays down the ultimatum. If you do not wash, you will have no share with me. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm thinking, no, no, you got it all wrong, Jesus. I'm saying I'm totally committed to you. I'm sold out for you. So I decided to take it to the next level. And I said, I'll show him. I said, I said, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Can you imagine how that went over with my brothers who were watching? They're probably thinking, oh, Pete, he's up to it again. <laughs> Jesus then says this, puts me in my place. He says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely healed. Uh, now look at who is the one who is humiliated in front of others. Well, I wish it had ended there, but it didn't. The next part is painful for me to share. We just celebrated the Passover together. We finished by singing a hymn, and then we made our way to the Mount of Olives. Jesus there began to explain again, once again, what was going to happen to him. Actually, what was going to happen to us as well. He said this, he said, you will all fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And then he addressed me specifically. And he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus was telling us what was going to happen. This was not an open discussion. It wasn't open for debate. But I didn't agree. So, of course, uh, I told him so. So I said, though they all may fall away because of you, I never will. I will never fall away. Do you see what I just did there? I did what you people would say threw my brothers under the bus. I don't know what a bus is, but I let Jesus know that I was better than them. I wasn't going to fail you. They may but not me. The rock 
had spoken once again. Believe it or not, as bad as this is, I'm going to dig a hole even deeper. (laughs) Jesus says to me, truly, truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. (laughs) No way. If there's one thing I know, I know me better than anybody else. There's no way in the world I am going to deny my Lord three times. It's not going to happen. I would never do such a thing. So I told him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus knew at this point there was no use arguing with me. He said nothing. I got the last word in. A lot of good that did me. He then took us up to Gethsemane. He had us sit down. He said he was going to go a little bit further and to pray. He encouraged us to pray as well. It was late. We were tired. We fell asleep. He'd come back and found us asleep, woke us up again. Hey, continue praying. He would even say to us, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he would go away and pray some more. And we fell asleep. I mean, it was, we were tired. We didn't understand what was at stake. We didn't understand what was going to happen. And then Jesus comes back. And this time he says, rise, for my betrayer is here. What? And I get up and I, I see coming a crowd, a mob. They're carrying clubs and swords and torches. And I, I see people from the town. I, I see soldiers. I see some of the religious leaders. But what I also see leading the pack, it's Judas. Judas. He is the betrayer. He comes right up to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, and he gives him a kiss. And at that moment, they grab him. And that's when I spring into action. I pull out my sword from the sheath. I slash at the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And at that moment, Jesus says, no, put your sword back in its sheath. He said, shall I not drink of the cup the Father has given me? What? They then seize him, bind him. He willingly lets them do this to him. And they take him away. We scatter. Um, Although I join together with another brother, and we decide that we're going to follow and see what happens to our Lord. Well, they they take him to Caiaphas' house, the high priest. And in his house, there's a house where they put Jesus, and there's a courtyard there. And there's a fire, and there's people gathered there. And the the disciple, the other disciple I was with, knew someone at the gate and talked to them, and they let us in. And so we gathered around the fire, and we were just standing there, keeping warm. After a little bit, all of a sudden, a servant girl, I can see her staring at me. You know, one of those uncomfortable situations. She just keeps staring at me. And then she says... This man was with him. Oh, so I quickly respond, woman, I do not know him. Well, fortunately, no one made much of that, and things settled down, and got out of that one. And then time goes on a little bit later. And then another says, you are one of them. And I say, man, I am not. 
Nothing seems to come of that. About an hour goes by. A third person speaks up. And he says this, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Now at this point I knew I need to be more drastic. I need to take stronger action. So I invoke a curse on myself and I swore, I do not know the man. And at that moment, I hear a rooster crow. I turn and I could see my Lord. And he turns at the same time. And he looks me square in the eye. And I can tell by the look on his face, he knows what I have done. I'm reminded of his words before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, and I have done it. I have failed him. I leave and I run away. I spend the whole night weeping. How could I have failed so miserably? How could I have let my Lord down at such a time as this? This was the most miserable time in my life. Each day seemed like an eternity. How could you live with yourself after you let down God? But you know, such a thought as that, that oftentimes people have, is not from God, but from the evil one. You see, we never let God down. Jesus already knew beforehand I was going to fail him. I didn't let him down. I, I did what he knew I was going to do. My friends, if you ever think you've let God down, you're wrong. That is from the evil one. God knows that you're going to fail. He knows when it's going to happen. You don't let him down. You know what happens is we let ourselves down. And that's what was true of me. You see, I thought I would never be one who would deny my Lord. That's exactly what I did. Jesus knew the terrible state I would be in. And that is why he told me beforehand that he would be praying for me. Who is to say, but maybe those prayers of Jesus are what kept me from killing myself like Judas did. My friends, never take lightly the intercession of other people for you. True, oftentimes we may not see directly what is the result of those prayers in the physical realm, and we certainly can't see what those prayers are doing in the spiritual realm, but what you can know for sure about your prayers, people are praying to the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heaven and earth, the sustainer, and who is sovereign over all. And when prayers go up to him, he is the God of the impossible, and you never know what those prayers are are going to do, what difference they're going to make. And because they go to the Lord, all God Almighty, there is hope and encouragement. So be thankful when any time anyone prays for you. All of us were in shock from what had taken place. We would gather together, we would pray some. A lot of time we would just sit in silence, not knowing what to say or to do. And then one day, Mary and some other women come, women come bursting into the room. And they say, someone has taken the body from the tomb. It, it is not there. We don't know where they have placed him. Well, immediately, John and I take off running towards the tomb. Now, I have always been a faster talker than John, but he happened to be much faster at running than I was. And so he got to the tomb first. Uh, but he didn't go in. He stood outside looking in. 
When I got there, I went right in. I wasn't going to be hesitant about it. But when I got there, it was a different scene than I pictured it would be. You see, if someone had taken the body, there would be nothing in there. Maybe just a loose piece of clothing, a burial cloth that came off as they took the body away. But that's not what was there. You know what was there? All the burial cloths were there, laid out. Almost as if the body had disappeared from inside. And then the face cloth was at a separate place, neatly folded. I I didn't understand what was going on. And, And soon John finally came in and he said, He is risen. He is risen? This is the first time I've had a little hope for days, but I, I didn't really understand what that meant to me. So I left. It's a, it was just a little while later where Jesus met with me privately. If you look in the scriptures, it, it accounts for it two different times, just very briefly, that I met that Jesus met with me. It doesn't give any details about that account. And I'm not going to go into any great details about that account either. But you know what that account was all about. You know what I needed more than anything else at this point. And that was to hear from my Lord that I was forgiven. To have a chance to repent and confess my sin. And to have Jesus look me in the eye and said I was forgiven. That's what my soul needed in order to begin the healing process. Now, why do I say healing process? Because it takes time for the soul to truly embrace what forgiveness means. To truly let it set us free. Oh, we can hear the words and we can believe them, but it takes time to fully embrace what it really means to be truly forgiven. And that was true of me. I knew I was forgiven of the Lord, but I was unsure of myself. I was unsure of what the future would hold for me. Would God be willing to use me? I had failed so miserably. Yes, I was forgiven, But could I believe that I was forgiven in my own heart? Could I forgive myself? Would God ever want to use me again? At this point, I was saying no. Forgiven is one thing. One thing being used by Him is another. How could I be used by Him after what I had done? After I had failed Him so miserably? Think about it. I was the only person in the history of the world to do what I did. At the time of his greatest need, I denied him three times. Now you may say, oh, many people have denied him, but not at that moment. Not at the time of his greatest need they did, like I did. How could God ever use someone like me again? I was forgiven, but still broken. There may be some of you here that can relate to that. At this point, Jesus had already appeared to us disciples. He had given us the Holy Spirit that your pastor talked about last week in the Gospel of John. Well, and at this point, we were just waiting. Uh, Jesus hadn't appeared again, and and we didn't know what to do. We, We didn't know what our role was, and 
And so we're just sitting there around waiting. And as you can imagine, I'm not a person who's good at waiting. And, and so I get up and say, I'm going to go fishing. There's nothing like going fishing to help relax, get your mind off things, help the time go by, catch some fish. So some of my other brothers say, hey, great, we'll go with you. So we head out. Well, we spent the whole night and we didn't haul in one fish. I, I know, I know this doesn't sound good, but I'm telling you, it was an exception I usually caught fish. We were on our way back from the, to the shore when the sun was just rising. And there was a man out on the shore. And he calls out to us and he asks the question that a fisherman never wants to be asked when he doesn't catch anything. Have you have, do you have any fish? Ah, uh, no. Thanks for reminding us. And then he said, if you cast your nets on the right side, you will catch some. Why not? What else have we got to lose? So we throw the nets on the, side, the right side of the boat. And as you know, before we know it, teeming with fish again. The boring night turned into a great celebration. And then John turns to me, who had better eyesight than I did, as by testifying by these glasses they gave me to wear today. Uh, and he said, it is the Lord. The Lord? Well, I quickly put on my outer garment. I wasn't going to wait for that boat to get to shore with all the fish. It was going to take a while. I wanted to see Jesus now. So I jump in the water. I swim to him. I get on shore. I embrace him. He has me sit around the fire. He already has fish there. I don't know how he got fish. But then we wait for the boat to come. And then I help bring the net in with all the fish. We sit around the fire. We're enjoying a meal together. When the meal is done, Jesus recognized there's some unfinished business with me. He knows I'm still broken. And so he turns to me. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, immediately my mind went back to my statement I made. And others may fail you, deny you, but I won't. My boastful pride. I would never make a claim like that again. The one thing I did know, though, is that I did, in fact, love him. And so I said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Okay. But before I had the time to process that, he, he asked me again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What, what, what could I say this time? I mean... Uh, I can only say what I already said. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But then he asked me a third time. And it grieved my spirit. He's asking me a third time. He says, he told me to tend my sheep there. And then the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I appeal to the fact that he knows everything. He knows my heart. He knows what I'm thinking. And, and so I said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. I, I didn't understand it at that exact moment, but later I came to understand what he was doing. I denied him three times. And so he had me testify to my love to him three times. And with each question, it was like he was taking each of my denials and casting them aside and putting them in their place far away. Instead of defeat and shame, which rendered me useless, he brought restoration to my heart. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. 
feed my sheep. He was saying, Simon, son of John, with forgiveness comes restoration. With forgiveness comes the ability to be used by me again. All flowing out of a love relationship with him. You see, before I was trying to prove my loyalty to him. Before I was putting myself before him. And as a result of my failure, I experienced firsthand that self-effort, simply trying harder, is not enough. You will fail every time. And I'm here to testify to that. And yet many brothers and sisters live their faith that way, trying to prove, simply trying harder, all in self-effort. And you will fail. I promise you that. You see, what Jesus wanted of me, what he wants of each of us, is our love. He wants our service to him to flow out of our love relationship for him. Not out of duty. Not out of trying to prove anything. And it was at this point that I was changed. It was at this point that it went from being a user, being my way, being in charge, to becoming usable. See, a usable person in the hands of the Lord is one who has surrendered their will to God. One who doesn't have to have it their way. One who, when they open up the Word of God, their response is, yes, Lord, what will you have of me today? Not, I'll decide if I like this passage and do it, or I will reject it. No, someone who is usable says, Lord, your will be done. I will follow. You see, as a result of my failures, it caused me to humble myself and see how powerless I am to be able to live for the Lord in my own strength and effort. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that about yourself? There may be some of you here that can relate to being a user at times. Picking and choosing. You decide what your agenda is going to be. You decide if you're going to do what Jesus wants you to do or not, depending on how you feel or what the passage is saying, instead of just saying, Lord, your will be done. And if you struggle with being a user like I have, I encourage you, surrender to him. It's a futile life living that way. And God will not use you nearly as much as if you surrender to him. May you learn from my mistakes. There may be some of you here who are living in defeat. You have failed miserably. And those failures are defining you. And you continue to bring them up in your mind and they keep you from moving forward in your relationship with God and in serving the Lord. Let me tell you something. We are all failures. And it is only by the grace of God. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because we are failures and we needed forgiveness. And all of us are usable, become usable in God when we embrace that forgiveness. We forgive ourselves and let His forgiveness and His grace wash over our soul and heal us and allow us to be usable by Him even though we have failures in our past. Do not let your failures define who you are today. That is living under the bondage of the evil one. 
That's exactly how he wants you to live. But that is not how Jesus wants you to live. You are forgiven through the power of the cross. His shed blood has forgiven you. Can you embrace that and be usable in his hands? There is nothing more wonderful than being restored by our Lord. Forgiven. Having his grace flow in and through you. Having a love relationship with him. That's what I have, and that's what each of you here can have through Christ. You know, it's interesting. If you were go on and to read the next book, the book of Acts, you'd see that I did, in fact, become a great fisher of men. Thousands came to know the Lord through me being used of God and the power of God flowing through me. But that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't believe that Jesus could restore me, that Jesus could use failures like me. Brothers and sisters, don't live in your failures anymore. Lay them down at the foot of the cross. Don't be a user anymore. But open your heart and say, Thy will be done and become usable. My friends, thank you for being, letting me be here. Thank your pastor for letting me come share. If you didn't like what I said, you can blame your pastor. But brothers and sisters, may the peace of God fill your hearts. Shalom. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for the testimony of changed lives. God, we thank you that we can look into the pages of Scripture and we can see um, the way you take sinful, broken, unsure men and women, and God, you, you redeem them, you, you save them, you forgive them, and you use them for your glory. And I pray, Father, that, that would be our story. God, as we sit under this word today and as we look at our own lives and we look to the gospel and we see the, the healing power, the transforming power of the gospel, God, I, I just ask for those of us in this room who, God, are hearing these words, God, that the, the healing power of the gospel would be true in our lives. God, that the forgiveness that only you offer would wash over us. God, that the, the lie that, that keeps repeating in our mind that, that calls us you know, failures or, or useless, God, that you would, you would redeem that. And God, for those of us that may find ourselves, uh, as, as, uh, as Don shared today, being users, God, would you just do a redeeming work in our hearts and minds? God, would you give us eyes to see what you have for us, God? Would you give us the obedience to lay down our agenda, our will, our selfish ambitions, God, and to open up our hands and allow you to work in and through us, God? Would you raise up the, the family of God, raise up the men and women of God to be used by you for your glory, God, to advance the gospel? across the city and to the ends of the earth that, that people might come to know you and, and worship you and love you and be loved by you. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.